While much valuable Christian literature from prior centuries has been republished in recent years, the particular Baptists have been largely ignored. Yet, their contributions in the areas of biblical exegesis, theology, history, and practical Christian living have much to offer today's church. The particular Baptists have always demonstrated a firm and faithful commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, its proclamation to all the world, and the inspiration, inerrancy, and absolute authority of all of Scripture. We at Particular Baptist Heritage Books desire to champion this God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, word-centered legacy by producing high-quality, handcrafted, hard-cased editions of Particular Baptist works, which we hope will endure for generations to come. Particular Baptist Heritage Books is a nonprofit publishing ministry founded in connection with a local church. With the help from an advisory board consisting of Calvinistic Baptist pastors and scholars, we seek to preserve the history, theology, and relevancy of our particular Baptist forebears by publishing and promoting their most important literary works. Our mission is to glorify God and to strengthen His church by furnishing Christians with the very best of the particular Baptist literary heritage. And so we invite you, come and deepen your Baptist roots at www.particularbaptistbooks.com www.particularbaptistbooks.com You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, Stories from Reformed Baptist History with Commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist History. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. In our last episode, we learned of the early religious influences on John Fawcett and then of his conversion. Under God, it came through the word of truth preached by an Anglican priest named George Whitfield. One of the great emphases in his preaching was the need to be born again. In the state-supported religion of the day, Christianity was often equated with morality. The law was given out, but the gospel often came with little clarity. So the doctrine of regeneration was a thunderbolt that startled its hearers. Some ran to Christ for protection, and others railed against the enthusiasm of such preaching, as they called it. To be an enthusiast was to be mentally unbalanced, to be out of control, or to use Jonathan Edwards' phrase from the same time period, to be crack-brained. But of course, it was no such thing. It was simply Jesus' teaching about the new birth being presented to a rationalistic and moralistic people dead in their sins with minds darkened to how to truly be right with God. Fawcett had experienced the great change that comes with being spiritually raised from the dead. And of course, he was drawn to others brought to life by Christ's Spirit. So he heard of William Grimshaw, the converted Anglican minister in Haworth, about nine miles from John's home. For two years, he regularly walked to hear Grimshaw preach. Henry Venn was another converted minister 
from whom he profited occasionally. And although he would shortly leave this communion, some of its strengths stayed with him for the rest of his life. For example, his son notes that, quote, It will no doubt be recollected by many who attended his public ministry that he was in the frequent practice of introducing in the devotional exercises and in his sermons passages from the church service, by which, of course, he means the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which were familiarized to him by early associations and endeared by their own intrinsic excellence. Again, we note the lack of sectarianism in Fawcett. He genuinely appreciated Christian truth and devotion wherever it was found. And since I occasionally use parts of the Book of Common Prayer in our public worship, especially some of the prayers of confession, I have a warm spot for this Baptist pastor. Whitfield, Grimshaw, and Venn had hearts larger than their specific denomination, and they passed on that appreciation to Fawcett. For the next several years, Fawcett continued in the state church, but as most of its ministers opposed the gospel truths so dear to him, he began to attend a congregational church in his hometown. Then a few Baptists from the area asked a Mr. William Crabtree to regularly preach to them. As he did, John became a regular hearer. Here is an extract from his diary that explains what happened next. Finding Mr. Crabtree's sermons, upon the closest examination, according to the light and knowledge I had, to be agreeable to the law and to the testimony, after a long struggle and fluctuation of mind, I resolved that if I could find that what is commonly termed believer's baptism is revealed in Scripture as the duty of Christ's followers, I would comply with it and join myself to the Lord's people of that denomination. Accordingly, I searched the scriptures, so far as I know, impartially and without prejudice. The result was a persuasion that it was my duty to, quote, arise and be baptized. On the 26th of February, 1758, now that in our time would be 1759, being then just entered on his 19th year, he came before the society at Bradford as a candidate for baptism and church fellowship. Having given great satisfaction to those who were present, so in other words, his testimony was heard, he was baptized March the 11th following and soon after admitted a member of the church. It was here that he also met another member of the church, Susanna Skiro, whom he would later marry. For the next six years, he was a member in this church. During this time, he cared for his family and was diligent in his public, private, and family worship. He set aside time for personal prayer three times daily, and he studied as he could, usually early in the morning. He had a sense of the call to the ministry and even told George Whitfield about his hopes, who responded with an encouraging letter that he kept all his life. By nature, he was quiet, even timid. But his gifts were real, and encouraged by his friends and several local Baptist pastors, he began to preach. In 1764, so when he was 24, Fawcett was called to be the pastor in Waynesgate, 
a few miles north of his home church in Bradford. Here is his diary account of the move. Waynesgate, May 10, 1764. Yesterday our goods were removed from Bradford to this place. A number of the brethren here came with horses, and having met us at Haworth, conveyed us forwards and the goods we brought with us. I have now set my hand to the plow, and have made a solemn entrance upon the work of the ministry. My partner in life and I have taken leave of our dear friends and brethren, with whom we had an affectionate and sorrowful parting. I would now apply with diligence to the work incumbent upon me. I am conscious of great weakness and inability, but the language of my heart is, Lord, help me. I rose before six in the morning and spent most of the day in regulating my books and other things. At night, I was dull and weary. Well, surely one of the marks of a pastor is that right away you set in order your books when you move to a new home. Fawcett was called here because the previous pastor, Richard Smith, who was converted under Grimshaw, had died. During the end of Smith's pastorate, the small church of about 30 members, was embroiled in controversies related to the Liverpool Baptist pastor, John Johnson. Besides denying original sin and that faith is a duty for unbelievers, Johnson was aggressively argumentative. This infected the Waynesgate Church. But even as a young man, Fawcett was a peacemaker, and God blessed his efforts to calm the storms of controversy and ill will. This combination of holding to the truth with a loving frame was characteristic of his ministry. Using God's appointed means, Fawcett saw the great blessing that he had pleaded with God for. The record of his diligence in daily study is surely convicting. His frequency in preaching, said to be on average four times a week, illustrates his dependence on God's word. But his son said that he was most distinguished by his Sabbath observance and commitment to public worship. He also traveled locally to preach when requested. This itinerant ministry was the natural outworking of his belief in the free offer of the gospel, and it bore fruit. Some congregated in their own towns, others traveled to Waynesgate for worship. So at this time, his own congregation knew, quote, a considerable revival. God so blessed the church that their building had to be enlarged, and this was to happen several times during his 54 years in the ministry. The response of the young people to the preaching was especially encouraging to Fawcett. In order to help them soundly grow in the faith, he wrote a small tract just for them. It's full of practical Christian advice, things he didn't think appropriate for the public ministry, but that he still wanted them to know. It is still sound counsel today. Let me give you the main heads that he wrote to them. First, do not slacken your diligence in any of the means of grace, public or private. In other words, don't neglect the word of God. Two, be very careful to keep up the spirit and power of godliness even while you attend to the form. He wanted them to enjoy Christ, not merely go through religious motions. Three, guard against useless controversy and unnecessary contention. This is a warning against cage stage Christians. Four, shun vain and unprofitable company. 
I can't help but wonder what he would think of the Internet. Fifth, prize and improve the many advantages you enjoy in a single state. This is a way to fight against discontentment with being single. He goes on to say that, of course, he's not against any relationships appointed by God. And he knows that when they are done this way, they will contribute to the Christian's spiritual advantage. Surely it should be the aim of every pastor and man aspiring to the ministry to show the diligence, peacefulness, and love for the sheep that John Fawcett did. More of this righteous man next time. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.